Commander, this is Waterford. This morning, a plane left Gilead and landed at Pearson. There were nine Marthas on board. Apostates. There were also 86 children. I'm sorry, did you say 86 children? Yes. We don't have much more information right now. We just know that they're here in Toronto and that they're safe. Mr. Twello, do you know how the Martha's got the children now? We're still receiving details, but we believe that there was a handmaid involved. Yours. June Osborne. Hello, this is Gina, and welcome to Resisting Gilead. That's right, we're back after a very long hiatus of the show, the pandemic, and the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about season four, episode one, titled Pigs. And my co host today is none other than W. Axel Foley. Thanks for joining me, Axel. Well, Gina. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. I'm excited to be back in this world. I, I have a lot of hope going into this season, and I'll already say this: I love this episode. I'm ready to go. Last season, I, I had a little, I was a little scared because I've been so dour. You know? <laughs> Yeah, to feel uplifted a little bit. I wanted to have some power in, in the hands of people that I cared about. Yeah, like we're getting there. We and are getting there slowly. I am excited. Well, good, good. So yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting season. Um, I know that so far you've only watched the first two episodes. I've watched the, the first three. But um, I mean, I think just going into this season, you know, so much has, has changed, um, you know, with our society, we have a new president, thank the gods. And, um, you know, but we've also been living in a pandemic. And, you know, that's, uh, that's a, you know, interesting monkey wrench into everyone's life. Um, but, you know, in terms of the show, I'm just glad it's back. I'm super curious to see what they do this season. Um, and, you know, as we kick things off, I'm just kind of, you know, first of all, um, what did you think when you first saw what was starting to go down at the Capitol on January 6th? Ooh, well, you know, I saw you had this in the notes and then I was like, damn, Gina's getting into it early. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> like, but this, I'm glad you brought this up because you know what I felt? I felt like I was watching the freaking Handmaid's Tale. I know I did too. Like I was, I, I don't know what I was doing. Cause I usually listen to the news in the background. I listen to MSNBC and all of a sudden I like the tone changes and I'm like, I need to see what's going on. So I like switch to the, the video on my computer and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like a really ho hopefully crappy attempt at what happened in the handmaid's tale. Like these guys are like, going to go in there and 
they're going to try and kill people. Um, I don't know. That was a dark day. And yeah, this is like one of the first things I thought of. And I posted something on Facebook and I'm like, something's happening right now, blah, blah, blah. And a friend of mine's like, yeah, the Handmaid's Tale's happening <laughs> right now. <laughs> like I didn't even say it, but other people were thinking it too. Um, I, and you know what, it, for me, it was, um, I mean, I think that when these, these kind of historic events happen, whether good or bad, you have this feeling of disassociation or displacement where it's happening there. But then when you look at your normal life, if you just turned off the TV, you could just walk outside, do whatever, talk to a person who might be at, who might agree with what's happened, right? Like, uh -huh. and that's what The Handmaid's Tale captured when we first established this world that June and her family and her friends were living this, you know, kind of affluent, maybe not super affluent, but you know, like um, well-adjusted, they, they had friends, they were going to parties. They were educated they were learned right they right it was like the world it was like the world had no boundaries <clears throat> that things were happening over there and then sooner or later over there became here yeah and that's how i felt on that day i was watching it and i remember i actually just turned the tv off and i sat there and i said okay that's not happening here and then I turned the TV back on. <laughs> it took me a while to, um, I think for a lot of people, I don't know if you, I would like to ask, did you feel this way where it took, it, it, it's almost as like it was a wave and it took a while for it to settle in as reality to me. Like I, I it, for a sec, it was it, because first of all, it was so like um the people doing it were so goofy and weird right like they, yeah they're a bunch it, of imbeciles yes, exactly yeah. and it yeah. was so it was hard to really did that happen to you that it took a few days and then like one day i just woke up and i was like that actually happened these people tried to overrun our government that's what they thought they were doing well i mean i think from the beginning i was just really worried about the people inside you know because i think this is actually i remember a little more clearly now um they were the newscast was inside the chamber because they were trying to confirm the the vote and everything right that's the whole reason these guys broke in and all of a sudden they're like oh mike pence has just been rushed away from the thing and I'm like okay what's going on that's not normal and yeah, there are all these people outside and I was just like, oh my God, you know, and then I kind of started putting the pieces together. They're talking about Trump just had this rally earlier. You know, you could see all the uh, white supremacist flags waving in the air. You could see that the police aren't really in control, except for this one guy who decides to let most of them pass the barrier. It was just, uh, I don't know. Um, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I, I knew that they were trying to, but I thought the group was a bunch of yahoos, but I still thought they were going to end up killing people, which, you know, they did. And um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was, it was clear also that for some reason there was just no extra help 
And I just kind of thought it wasn't so much that they were trying to take over the government. It was the fact that these are all Trump's toadies that were basically like doing his work of lies for him. But um, yeah. But it does, what, that's what it takes, right? Yeah. And, and you know, the old saying, you don't have to do evil. You just have to ignore it or be non-empathetic and it can, it goes on. And I feel like I'll say one thing, speaking on that, I was, I was pleased to see and to feel, and I, and I think, I don't, I, I don't know if you felt this too, the days after the absolute horror and mm -hmm. yeah. shame that people were feeling about it. And uh, I was happy to, to feel that and to hear that because that made me think, okay, people took this seriously. People yeah. understood what happened here. And even though it was a bunch of perhaps goofballs, people, you know, oh, well, what was it? One person lost their life, right? Mm, no, it was actually more like... Um, How many people? Well, one of the officers. One of the officers. And then, yeah, I guess it was people that were doing the storming and then another officer committed died by suicide after as well right um, discount the people who were taking place they they too lost their lives but as far as people, innocent people yeah that was two exactly. i guess but you know still i think it just goes back to the preparedness too because there are a lot of people in congress and the senate that went into work that day feeling scared and you know, kind of giving their family a heads up that they, they weren't sure what's gonna, what was going to happen. And, and, you know, those weren't Republicans. So, you know, I just think it was, there was a lot of pre-planning and negligence and pre-planning on one side, negligence on, on another, or actually pre-planning and negligence on both, just different factions of it. But anyway, I wanted to touch on that first because that was something I was just like, oh my God, this is, you know, fiction becoming reality um but sets the mood yeah it does so in terms of setting the mood i also put in this question just to kick off the season is you know i was thinking a lot about it and i'm like we're gonna lose important people this this season i have a feeling i have a feeling we're gonna see some deaths of of characters we we know and love or are fond of and i don't know personally my two characters I'm most concerned about were uh, our Janine and the commander, Commander Lawrence, <laughs> not Commander Waterford, <laughs> but Commander Lawrence. Um, those are the ones I'm concerned about, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see maybe, you know, Fred Waterford get the boot. We'll see. Um, I agree with, well, I think the only person I had on my mind was Commander Lawrence. Um, other than that, I don't know that I, I guess in this show, I'm prepared for anything horrific to happen at any moment. So I don't know that I had any preconceived ideas, but plot wise, I did think this dude's going to be in a bit of trouble here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I thought uh, that was kind of good. I thought it might happen early. Um, yeah, yeah. But we'll get into that. We'll get to him. <laughs> uh, clearly, he's going to have some kind of role, at least in the early part of the season. So um, we'll see. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I love the kind of upbeat way the the um, episode started out with the Say a Little Prayer song going and they're carting June along and, you know, badass Janine whips out the blowtorch and says, yeah, we need to stop the bleeding, which is somehow such a, a, an appropriate comparison to them trying to stop the bleeding of just everything they're going through. It's like, yeah, we do it with a blowtorch. But I thought that was a great kind of kickoff. Um, you know, it kind of started it on a, like a strangely dark and yet light note. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, they're so great at that. They're, they're so, I mean, they've done that successfully so many times where they blend the mood of the music with the visuals. And what really got me was the look on June's face that was so serene. Mm. You know? And it's as though she's floating. And I really liked it because um uh gosh i don't what was it i don't know if it was some random facebook post or something i was looking at the other day where someone was describing an event in which they should feel very sad right like they've lost something but they knew really that this was a positive thing for them you know mm -hmm. like say a relationship <laughs> that you break up and but you're actually happy about it right and yeah you are like why are you happy like because this was really the best thing for me she is just so happy that she got the kids out yeah that's what overrides being shot any of the politics what's going to happen after and i thought that that was kind of beautiful yeah no it definitely was it definitely was um so let's talk about Fred and Serena a little bit, because these are two people that were not happy to hear the news. Um, I don't know. We get back to them. They're just, you know, bickering as usual. They really are meant for each other. They're just both horrible people that deserve each, <laughs> deserve each other. I mean, the responses, you know, first, oh, nine Marthas. Oh, no big deal. And then they're like 86 kids. And they're like, oh, that's not good. And then they find out June was involved. And I was just like, this is excellent. This is excellent. I wish June could be here to see the looks on their faces. It was pretty perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, you know, and this is something, I mean, crafty editing people as they put together like trailers for the season. I feel like in the trailer at this point, it looked like Fred was saying, I'm going to find her and I'm going to kill her. And I'm almost sure it was that, but in the end, he was really just saying, they are going to find her and kill her. You know, I think he's still kind of sweet on her in a, you know, sick and twisted way. The power. Yeah. He's attracted to power. That's the yeah. reason why he likes Serena. Yeah. Right? He, I mean, it. their relationship is so twisted and it just brings me back i always remember that the foundation is really her ideas yes a lot of it is her ideas um so like this intellectual like powerhouse and this strong per and i think you know that's what but i think that uh joseph finds always plays a character like that very well mm. um weak strong man yeah yeah wears his heart on his sleeve kind of you know even you when you think back to Shakespeare in love and the yeah. movie Elizabeth there's always this kind of 
you know, kind of power struggle, less so in Shakespeare and Love, but um, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think he was, I think he's more worried about June than Serena is, that's for sure. And I don't know, you know, there was a time I felt sorry for Serena, but it's, it's no longer like she was just so annoying. She's just like so put upon by the situation she got herself in for this world she helped create. And I'm just like, you are so annoying. Like, just be quiet. And I think Mark Tuello was starting to feel a little annoyed too, because they're all like, well, I hope, I hope they can return them to their families and you know, this, that, and the other. And he's like, yeah, we're returning them to their families, but they can never go back to their homes because you two destroyed them. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder about his backstory because I think all we really know is he was from Atlanta, um, but this isn't the first time he's referenced not being able to, you know, not having a home to go back to. And so it kind of makes you wonder, did he have a wife? Uh, kids you know sisters who knows but um it's pretty you know his his background's kept pretty tightly but you know he he seems both annoyed but you know yeah i don't know yeah i'd like to see that because one of the things that i liked is that they're i like the way that we're now seamlessly going back and forth where it doesn't have to be some kind of um super major event for us to cross the border mm -hmm. and we have seen the backstories and further adventures of a host of different characters in gilead i think it would be interesting to go to canada and have and see hey let's look at their life before you know kind of yeah like a couple uh, other like, people yeah it's like evening out the show and then because eventually, right, these two halves are going to have to meet. Mm -hmm. So on a round out both sides. So when we get to eventually, hopefully, you know, Gilead goes down, we can kind of understand from the perspective of the people who were outside of it, not just the people we've seen escape it. Right. Yeah. And I love him from Parenthood, so... Yeah, I never watched that show. You've mentioned that before, though. But um... you'd love it if you ever get the <laughs> chance. You should watch it. It's so okay. it's fun. It's heartbreaking. It's funny. It's beautiful. It's kind of cheesy, mm. and, but I think you'd enjoy it. Okay, I'll have to check it out at some point. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so, talking about Fred and power. Um, we walk into a room filled with men that like power. Uh, there's a whole, you know, kind of slate of commanders, about six or eight of them, and they're talking to Aunt Lydia. Handmaids. Sinful whores. More trouble than they're worth. Yes, sir. More misled than sinful in this case. We appreciate your insights. They were led astray by a gifted and immoral liar, a Delilah. When she is hanging on the wall, justice will be done. Of Joseph. She has eluded your soldiers for 19 days. She's out there planning 
who knows what kind of atrocities to visit upon our righteous nation. Pray, gentlemen, find her and bring her to me. And a frail woman will sleep better at night. I leave you to your work. Most blessed day. Oh, to be a woman with some sense of power, but then forced to realize how very unimportant and unpowerful you really are. Because <laughs> I thought this was just so interesting that she's been imprisoned for 19 days. Clearly, she's been roughed up because she does not look great and has been kind of stripped of her authority. And, you know, she's on her way out. And one of the guys says, handmade, sinful whores, more trouble than they're worth, which pisses her off. Yes. Then, I don't know, then she kind of turns around and gives this speech how they've failed to, you know, get June into custody after 19 days and, you know, bring her to me and I will deal with her and she'll be on the wall. You know, she's trying to throw around her authority. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this scene because once again, this is just like what we're seeing earlier um, where there's this strange dichotomy of these men who love to talk shit on women and treat them horribly. But then as soon as a woman says to them, do what I, they're like, yes, mommy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, because of that secret yearning to be controlled and dominated and the jealousy they have, right? You know, mm -hmm. trid of women comes from. And I just think that this show does masterful way of spinning that around because he says that and she comes back. And for a second, I thought to myself, okay, is she going to overstep here? You know what I'm saying? Is she going to get a finger cut off or something, you know? Right. Well, but, you know, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, it, you're absolutely right in saying that a lot of times these women kind of turn around and just really put these guys in their places. Um, you know, we saw that with June and Lawrence last year when he was going to cancel her plan. And she's just like, you think this is your house, you know, and and also earlier in that episode, they're very focused on the work they're doing. They're melting down the soap, they're packing the lunches. And I remember him just like kind of watching them for a minute, like, wow, this is, this is women putting a plan into action, almost like these men have forgotten that they're actually people with minds that can contribute to society. And, um, yeah. I think it's very interesting, and I I think we may see some men and women in Gilead actually worked together in less of a twist. Well, maybe just the same as a twisted way. I mean, I I don't really count Serena and Fred because they're a couple, and couples have their own dynamics. But I do think we're going to see uh, kind of a man woman relationship you know they're trying to work together or you know in in some way this season so we'll see how that goes but yeah i mean largely they've been very discounted 
the women. So well, of um, course. Yeah. I think yeah. that it's the show. I don't know. I feel like um you could maybe make a chart of like challenging men, right? Mm-hmm. The show began where it would where you could feel that she couldn't even look in the wrong direction in front of a man, right? Right. Yeah. To the point now where we are continually encountering these men who are like just nothing, right? Like who are kind of like whiffs. And as soon as the woman stands up, and I think it's kind of a lesson about power, mm -hmm. about, um, what it means to understand that you like you, you're not waiting for anyone. You are like June says, you are the power. And yeah. what Lydia does here is so masterful because she doesn't come back and insult them in any way, right? Like she comes back and she's a little harsh, but mostly she's kind of acting as a uniter and she kind of jazzes them up, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She but shames them a little bit. Like it's been 19 days and you haven't been able to find this girl. You know, it's kind of funny. They they <clears throat> they don't really push back on her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like because because when she comes back, I can't I think the next line is she's kind of uh she says something like, but we must move forward together, or like what she would do <laughs> to, to the handmaids, right? Right. And by the end, she's saying to them bring her to me. And then they're kind of like, okay, we will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But there, this is, um, I just, I think it's interesting that they're setting this up as um, kind of like a final battle, like a boss level battle between Aunt Lydia, right? And she, mm -hmm. she's, she's gonna have to be someone that we pass to get to the final battle, or maybe she is the final boss. Yes, maybe, maybe. Um, I'm not gonna say anything else because I've read some things uh, uh, like I... the second book. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, no, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how some of these characters transform this season um, and what their uh, motivations are, I guess. Um, and speaking of motivations, let's talk about Nick and Lawrence, Lawrence and Nick. Who are these two? <laughs> I mean, this is another kind of, you know, not that it's a man and a woman, it's someone that's a very new commander and someone that basically founded this crappy place now in interesting power struggle. I personally love watching Lawrence squirm a bit in a prison room, literally of his own creation, because, you know, it's just, it's kind of just desserts. And I just think that whole first scene when Nick comes in and he's like, I'm here to thank you for your service to Gilead. Like he's speaking in code. He says that three different times. And it's just, I don't know. What did you think of that first scene? Um, I, 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 it had me on edge because I thought he would, they were just going to kill him right there. Whoa. Sorry, I just kicked over my whole border here. I got so excited. <laughs> um, I thought they were just going to, when 
until the very end of the scene, which they cut from abruptly. I thought that the um, person cutting his hair or shaving him was just going to slice his throat. And that was oh, yeah. No, I hadn't even gotten that gotten quite that far yet because that that's the second day he comes back, you know, because when Nick leaves that first day, he's like, tomorrow? Oh, like, remember, I'm, I'm going to live to tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. No, I remember, but I mean, literally, I'm just saying that I thought he was going to die until they cut away from the, like, him there. Oh, yeah. Never convinced that he was going to live. I just kept, no matter, I love Nick. I think that this actor, Max Mangella, is he is he related to uh, Anthony Mangella, or is that pronounced no, the the man that I think directed the English Patient and other films? Uh, yes, it that was his father, um, who was, yeah, who passed yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, oh. that's his dad. Yeah, I was just doing a little reading on him because I'm so both impressed and bewildered by Nick this season. And I don't know, you put a boy in a suit, like he just looked like a dude before. Now he, he's, he has authority. I mean, just put a suit on a guy and it changes everything. It's really something. Yeah, that's right. It, that was his dad. English patient, talented Mr. Ripley. Oh yeah, he died in 2008. Yeah, yeah. 54 too, he was only 54 years old. That's sad. Damn. Yeah. Um, um, and his brother is Dominic Mangio. Oh, okay, look at that. Yeah, he created Doc Martin. Oh, look at that. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love. I think he's a great actor, and mm. I think that um, I this reminded me of uh, what's that Dustin Hoffman um, movie, or was it Dustin Hoffman or Robert Redford? Is it safe? Is it safe? Like what? Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> taking his out or whatever. What was that? The Marathon Man? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think there was a little bit of a callback to that where he just keeps on repeating himself. Like, we thank you. And that's like a mafioso shit too, right? Yes. Yeah. It's very, um, thank yeah. You. Hey, you it's, just very, want... it's very thank threatening. You. <laughs> you know, you do expect to be like, see the end of a gun after that. <laughs> we just want to thank you for your service. Bam, bam. <laughs> Because it's like, an, it's over, you know, yeah. right? What are you thanking me for? Are, we, are you leaving now? Like, that's what you say when you say goodbye. Thank you. Yeah. I um, think it's, I think it's funny. You thought that he, they just might slit his throat when he sat back in that chair, because I don't know, I think he felt immediate relief, you know, because he was going to be a consultant and he just struts over that chair. He's all cocky and smug. And he's like, well, I'm just trim the beard. I'm really liking the link, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, oh, you're such a schmo. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, he's a funny dude. Um, but I've always loved Bradley Whitford and I just think he's phenomenal in this role. He's so, you know, he, he has a huge range, um, you know, kind of creepy to cocky to, uh, yeah. bewildered. It's all over the place. He's become a great, he, he's, he's one of those, um, those artists that like, as they get older, you kind of appreciate more and more, you know, and say, wow, he, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, no, he, he so really is. It was one of the reasons I thought they were gonna off him. I'm glad they didn't because I love the character. I think it also shows that Iliad is in very much crisis and a crisis of leadership. Because mm -hmm. 
as we see with um, uh, Aunt Lydia, I can't, it's hard for me to remember who has, I mean, they keep the kind of hierarchy even secret from us, I feel like. Certain mm -hmm. people rise and fall, you know? And this commander went there and this commander went there. But I do sense the ranks there being kind of a brain drain almost, where they don't have, like, they had an initial idea. And I think the show's kind of communicating it too, even by Serena being in Canada and her having like these initial great ideas that founded this Republic, you know, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I feel that's how I felt. Like, I feel like there's, there's a lack of leadership there. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Cause you know, they're without Fred, they're without, um, oh gosh. Um, and what's her name? The guy that June killed. Yeah. Um, Gosh, why can't I remember the last name of that? Because he was just in and out. Um, though I love that actor. There without, um, you know, the the key guy that recruited Nick into it because he died in the explosion. There without the one guy they imprisoned after the explosion because you know he was getting too nosy. You know, they've they've taken out a lot of the top guys to maintain Fred's power, but now Fred's gone, and so really it is Waterford and. And Nick are probably the two left that have the most insight into the creation of Gilead. Well, it's like, the, I mean, in many ways, I think they've done a pretty overt job of comparing them to the Nazi regime, you know? Mm. And I think that you saw that in, um, in the Nazis, too. They kept on killing each other. By the yeah. end, they've all killed each other. You know, they all hated <laughs> And that was something that, like Trumpolina, uh, Hitler <laughs> hitting people against each other. He thought that that was a successful uh, strategy for strengthening an organization, which to me sounds like the most horrible thing ever. But that's what Trump believed in, too. And it sounds uh -huh. also, I think, in a sense, what Gilead espouses, that you in, like it's like the survival of the fittest mm -hmm. yeah you know? it is in a way for sure you know so they see it as primal as god related and and, and as a matter of fact so did Hitler. yeah the ubermensch right yeah yeah well we'll see how that all nets out it's it's still kind of mind-boggling but um why don't we spend the rest of this episode talking about Life on the farm and pigs. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I, I just want to say, can I, before I forget the, what I want to compare this to, the French part, the excise, but later return French part of Apocalypse Now. You, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I do not. But go so, ahead, because other people may. In Apocalypse Now, it's supposed to be, in some respects, Coppola was trying to trace the involvement of all other countries in Vietnam. Mm. And this is like the Chinese, the French, the American, the French were before the Americans. And there's an excise part, I, th I think it's oh, maybe longer, I can't even remember if it's in the original apocalypse now because the two versions blend together. 
but they go they find this place where it's like it's almost like a dream mm. living like the french are still with the with in vietnam it's like he happened almost goes through like a time warp kind of thing and that's what it felt like to me and in the same respect the the vietnamese who were trapped in that were trapped in this like having never having any power mm, uh -huh. it's like they were on in this thing where they were dancing and you know she and i know she's happy to see the celebration but it's so false because they're not really free right they're like in a interstitial yeah theme. yeah it's like a um yeah it is like a dream it's like an intermission there you um, go yeah said in one word what I could just have told oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, the only reason they really had this intermission is because she was so sick for the 19 days or whatever. I mean, the sepsis. So I, you know, the actress, Patty Duke, she died from sepsis due to a kidney infection. Yeah, um, and I had a friend who also had a kidney infection she was in her early thirties that was put in the hospital and was septic. And it took, she was in the hospital for a week on antibiotics. So I just kind of think that June has to have some type of super powered immune system for, you know, moldy fruit penicillin and herbal goo to help cure her. It just seems so implausible uh, knowing what we know about medicine, but I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. That's how I felt in it. It went in and out of it. It was like until it focuses, it focuses itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt like the first, like she was walking around and she was just like, who right. are you? And then she would just, there was a guy there. And then the girl, and then all of a sudden the young woman is, and then she walks into someone else and she gets into a conflict and then she falls asleep for three days. And then yeah. she's, <laughs> Right, Mitch. She's in the field. I, I really thought that this was great. I think they did just a wonderful job of kind of almost maybe like capturing the fog of war after an event like this that happens, and she's recovering, and every also all that has happened to her. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. It's like um, a respite before we get going. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah kind of yeah exactly exactly um but you know she i don't know manages to get dressed and you know she goes out to see alma who is always such a ray of sunshine and um uh you know then we get really kind of introduced to mrs keys um whose name first name is esther although they really only mentioned that twice but so how old do you think Mrs. Keys is in this scenario? Oh, God, it's so tough to do ages. But let's see, I would say 14. Well, I, I think she has to be a little older, like I would say maybe 16. Okay. But, but I'm wondering how, how old she was when she first became a wife, because clearly she's been there a few years. And so I'm thinking she might have only been like 12 or 13 when she became a wife, if we're five years into Gilead at this point, because she just seems so young. And it does seem like she is that. <laughs> she's like, 
she's like a child version of Serena and Eleanor combined. Like she's out there smoking, but then she fangirls over June, but then she's like very bitter and snarky, like the typical kind of, you know, 16, 17 year old, you know, maybe even younger. Like, it's just, it's just like, oh my God, this poor girl went through her teenage years without, you know, any type of parent. <laughs> um, Absolutely terrible. And she could have been way younger too, right? They'd marry them young and just wait, right? Like, and kind of save them or keep them in the house and save them. Maybe, yeah. On this show where it would just be like understood that at a certain point, that's going to be the white, you know what I mean? And maybe they work in the house or something. I And also let's not forget, you know, this is out in the farmland, Gina. They do things a little bit differently out there. They you know? do. They do. Know that. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Uh, I have to ask Andy about that. What happens? Oh, my <laughs> oh I don't know if Andy is going to be caught up, but he <laughs> might be horrified when they get to this farm. But, um, um, it is true, though, that you see a certain you see a certain breakdown too, right? Because they're out past like the city. Mm -hmm. We've seen that in in um, in this world before. So yeah, it what happened to her and that story, I think is horrific. But then you have to think it was probably a very familiar story in Gilead. Right. Like it seemed this, yeah. this type of that's what I mean. Like they're giving us signals here that the entire society is breaking down. Yes. Yeah. And, and that the men are taking the power they have and just abusing it in, yeah. yep. in really, really. horrible, horrible ways. He would bring in other men. Guardians, eyes, even some commanders. <laughs> then they start coming more often. For their turn to fuck me. I'm sorry. Wives have bad things too. Now you listen to me, okay? None of this is your fault. None of it. It's it's pretty disgusting. Um, you know, and I think, you know, so much has been done to this girl and you know, at the same time, she's also, you know, it just becomes, I think, really a cycle of abuse, right? Because we don't know it at the time, but when she forces Janine to eat Mr. Darcy, who was the pig, by the way, um, the perfect man, <laughs> I don't know, Mr. Darcy uh, in Jane Airland or um, Jane Austen land, but, you know, she's forcing her to, to eat the pig that she was, had befriended and loved as a pet you know, it's just the typical Serena bullshit wife stuff. You know, she's like pounds the table. She puts her hand over her mouth. She lectures her about wasting food. You know, this is a child. I, I got 
that scene pissed me off. That was like, oh, oh yeah. And at first you don't understand what this, you just kind of think she's this crazy spoiled brat, you know, like even I was wondering about her mental capacity, even from the beginning when she's like, June, she's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you didn't die. Or we really thought you were going to die. It's just a flashback to Eleanor when she was talking to the baby, right? Like, oh, we thought you were going to die, you know? Um, and so I was kind of wondering about her, her mental capacity, but, you know, and clearly not, not healthy when, especially after we find out what happened to this poor girl, um, you know, she's like in such need of a mother or someone kind. Um, you know, and June kind of takes on, takes on that role. And, you know, I thought it was, you know, June starts taking on this kind of reverse Aunt Lydia, um, because she tells June the story and, you know, the wives have bad things too. And, and June just says, none of this is your fault, you know, as opposed to when Aunt Lydia shamed Janine for being gang raped. And it was like, it's your fault, Janine. Um, it's, you know, such a, uh, a 180 um, from what all these women have been told kind of since the creation of this messed up country. Um, yeah, pretty heavy. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a bright spot. Go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I, it took me a second and I appreciate and that's what I really do appreciate. I don't know, you know, I'm really jazzed about this show this season. I, I rewatched just the last episode um, of last season before jumping into these first two for us to talk about it. But I've been thinking that maybe, I don't know, depending on how this season goes, we'll see, but I might have the pressing it is, but I might go back and rewatch everything mm -hmm. at a certain point because I think some of the trauma did hide some of the brilliance of this show to me only because it is obvious. I mean, it's, it's a fucking, it's a hard show to watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? just really have to be honest about that. It really is. And if you care and you're an empathetic person or if in any way political or whatever, this is like, talk about a trigger. The show should be called trigger warning, you know? Like, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. And you don't really think about rewatching it. You just think, but you, you're appreciating it. And I, I just get, I had a real appreciation for the way that they didn't tell us what was happening. I loved it. I really like and, uh, and can appreciate when a production trusts an audience and, and we have to figure out why is June letting her do this? Oh, it's because of the delicate balance that exists with the commander in the house who we later find out she's poised, you know what I mean? So yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's more politics and, it, but June has, she is so hyper aware and always ready that she knows now to, to watch first yeah. and, and learn and see every new situation she goes into. And that can be stressful for an audience. And I've already read some reviews where people are saying like, oh, it's the same old thing where she's blah, blah, blah and this. And I was like, no, that's called the cycle and pattern of abuse. Yeah. And yeah. That's what this show is presenting us with. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. And 
that was something that's why I brought up the whole thing about trauma response and in kind of the, you know, coming soon episode I did before the season started is because this is all about how someone responds to trauma and what trauma looks like in various forms. And for people to realize we've had trauma in our own society for many, 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 many years, um, specifically for some groups more than others. And there's always a response to it. And it doesn't always necessarily need to look like this, but you wait long enough and there is going to be some type of backlash, whether it is violent or not is, you know, kind of a whole nother story. I think where they're at in Gilead, they, they have to make some impossible decisions. Like nothing is, they would, they're responding to nothing as they would if, if this was still the United States of America, because they have so few rights. Um, and I think that's, you know, we, this guardian shows up, he's been on the property kind of spying on them. And it's, it's one of these men that, that raped Mrs. Keys. And this whole scene, sure, it's about revenge, but it's also about what is the just punishment for this man in this world. And, you know, I don't know. It was just very, you know, yeah, sure. The, the other guardians could have taken care of him, but, you know, June made the decision. Girls. This man betrayed his own country. Mm. The United States. He's a traitor. <laughs> and this man. raped a child <laughs> repeatedly the punishment for these crimes is death <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this is always hard for me because I'm a person who's very against like the death penalty and murder in general. And the end of this show was kind of hard for me and I'm still kind of processing it and thinking about it. I understand the intent and I, and I think it was the way it was done was masterful. Mm. My God when she comes walking into the room, drenched in blood, she lays down next to her. Which one were they playing again? Natural woman. Oh my God, that's right. Natural woman. And this is like a birth too, right? A birth by blood, a rebirth in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
and but by killing the man there's so many implications there and i i thought it was brilliant um and i understand that they the women and this woman too she sees in her this could be a valuable warrior for her mm-hmm. you have yeah. to think that way you have to think that way she has to stop thinking that she can save every little kid and every woman in there and she yeah. has to go back to the thing where she was at certain points saying i've got to turn them into my warriors right yeah so i totally see that mm. but well, you know yeah and i think but june's also very good at manipulating people and this girl is a fan girl of june like you know i couldn't tell from the um i couldn't tell from when they were bringing june in that mrs keys said this to her but i saw it in kind of a last time on they didn't muffle it as much and and she had one of the things she said to her is like i dreamed of you i dreamed we were killing people together and I was just like, ooh, I'm kind of glad I didn't hear that before June then put a knife in her hand and very chillingly said, good girl, make me proud. And, you know, um, I don't know. Um, that was a chilling scene. And then having it be followed by the, the natural woman scene where she comes up and, you know, kind of gets into the bed with her like a child and tells her she loves her and June tells Mrs. Key she loves her too. It's very like mother, daughter, sister bonding, but you're right. She's created a new baby warrior. Um, yeah. That's what I think when I, when yeah. I, with the blood, it made me think of like natural childbirth and what, like how it was, all the blood was on her too. But of course with her story and I mean, there's so much with this show, the, the metaphors and the connections and everything is like just omnipresent. It like, it just becomes a part of, it's like the matrix. Sometimes you're like looking at this show and you feel like you'd be like Neo, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like it changes and you see like all the themes and meta- <laughs> like yeah. and songs and it's just like flowing through it because it's very, it's like a, a rich tapestry, as they say. And this was so powerful and so awesome. But yeah, you're kind of like sitting there as an audience member and and I'm like, she does need these warriors, but I can't deny how horrible this is, you know? And she's basically creating a child soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And speaking, that's up to you. I mean, personally, I'm not too keen on it, but... Then again, with this, um, I think it's safe to say she's a woman or girl, out of what age she is, she's like, she's an adult now, like she's lived through it. She doesn't have the comprehension, but, uh, but it's like, she didn't choose wrong is what I'm trying to say. Right. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> she knows what she's doing. And, um, it's, it was that was just it was like an amazing uh, amazing picture there. There's yeah. some painting like that, isn't there? Where there's two people lying. I think for I don't know. It brought back an image of a painting to me that I couldn't. Hmm. Probably. One person has blood like that, or maybe it was some like I don't know how many episodes of Game of Thrones or Westworld <laughs> or something where they've pulled back up and a person's in like the fetal position. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, That's true. 
That's true. It's uh, it's not uncommon. <laughs> so before we sign off on this episode, anything else that you want to say? Or um, no, I mean, just the music. I have to say again, the music was great. Um, hats off to Elizabeth Moss to just the, the, the depth that she gives in just a look mm. is almost frightening. Yes. Yeah, she's an incredible actress. Um, just, yeah, very incredible actress. Um, oh, hey, season question. Did you see Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss? You know, um, I did. I, I think I fell asleep during part of it, but I did see it. And that was a crazy movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I thought it was good. Yeah. What they did with it. And in a sense, it's almost, it's Handmaid's Tale adjacent. Yes, it is. Because she was like a prisoner, basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right, Axel. Thank you for joining me for to talk about episode one of season four. And as always to the listeners out there, don't let the bastards grind you down. Peace.